Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. Uh, in a way that we can just sit back and just be encouraged by, and oh, thank you, Emmy, and, um, and just realize that, hey, we're not in this thing called life alone, that there are other people who have gone through similar things to us but have found hope in God, and that hope in God is accessible to every single one of us. And so uh, we've heard from Beck and Joe at the start of the month, did a wonderful job, uh, and we also heard from Lynn and Rian, who, are they here? No, well, may God have mercy on their soul. Um, and then we heard from Adam and Jana Lee over here last week. Did a phenomenal job. Are you guys, have I missed somebody? This week four, week five? It's only four. Oh, because we had the first week off. Yes, but there is five Sundays in January. But today we are super um, blessed to have uh, a member of our church who's been here for a number of years now. Uh, Mr. Michael Croslin, who um, I'm very excited to uh, have with us. Now, I'm just going to read a couple of little things because um, I would hate that I would forget any of these and I would be doing him a great injustice. But um, over the last five years, um, this guy has presented to over 600,000 people with his message. Um, he's spoken to corporates, he's spoken to juvenile det- detention centres, sports stars, September 11 victims, um, people all over the globe. Uh, he's spent a quarter of his life in hospital and not working, um, but as a patient. Um, he's represented Australia in his sport. He runs an orphanage in a school in Haiti. He's been presented with the Australia Ambassador role for eight consecutive years. Uh, the award-winning documentary on his life, which was aired by ABC's Australian Story, has been viewed over four million times. Um, in 2018 and 19, uh, he featured on MTV's show Ridiculousness in the US with a viewership of seven million people. Um, and he was one of the Queen's baton bearers for the Commonwealth Games. He has shared the stage with the likes of Justin Pearson. Um, <laughs> Which, I know, just when you think you couldn't get better than all the stuff he's done. Oh, my gosh. Um, Oh, and also uh, the Dalai Lama uh, and Sir Richard Branson. And a recent video of him speaking in LA has been viewed more than, I think I said last week, 60 million, but I was terribly wrong. It is over 70 million times the video of his story has been viewed online that was recorded over there. And if you don't believe me, if you think I'm making all this up, I've got a little snapshot of a video that was filmed in uh, Las Vegas, I think, 18 months ago. So here is Michael Crosland in action. So coming from a crowd like that to a church like this, I hope he's not nervous, but please would you welcome Michael Croslin. What an intro. I didn't think you were ever going to stop. I, thought, I think everybody knows everything there is to know about me now. But I, I am excited because I know when I'm going to be on stage with somebody who's prepared, 
they wear some serious shoes. Yeah. So um, I see you're ready today. You're on fire already. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I wore them just for you. Thank you. Every time like, I see you comment on my shoes, and I haven't worn these uh, to church before, so I thought, you know what? I hope you notice this. I was oh, secretly I did. I did notice. hoping I you did. would notice. You, so, you're thank literally you. on fire. I like it. Looks good. I could finish today's service a happy man now. Like, I'm done. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so thanks for doing this. Thanks for thanks being for here and sharing your story. It's amazing. Um, we are desperate to hear more of your story. But before we jump into that, um, as I said in, in your intro, uh, you have been around the globe many, many times speaking to many hundreds of thousands of people um, and have met some incredibly influential people over your time and uh, roll in circles I certainly can't really relate to as such. But... You, you choose to call this place home, C3 Coffs Harbour. Um, why here? Why did you choose to, to call us your church family? I think, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everybody, there's times in our life where we finally feel like we're exactly where we're meant to be. I think you know, God sets out the blueprint for all of us and we just need to make sure we walk on that path. And I've been to many other churches, as many of you have been in here before, and uh, you, you feel the connection, but never the family connection. And uh, when I walked in here that day, I just, I felt like I just knew that this was the place that my family was going to grow up in, and that we we're going to spend the rest of our days here, and we were just so excited. We met some beautiful people. I'd been to other churches where you'd walk in, and you'd hide up the back, you'd arrive late, leave early, and, and not have to communicate with anybody, but here you, uh, you weren't allowed to do that. Um, ben and Jazz, they tackled us as we walked in the room. And, you know, one thing that I live my life by, and as you'll hear today, is this notion that I, I, I wanted to learn throughout my life that saying you uh, give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Because I thought for a long time the saying was, the more you give, the more you shall receive. But I realise the saying's wrong. The saying should be, the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. And I think that I see that so beautifully within this community, within these walls. And not only do you preach it, you talk about it, but you implement it as well. Like my family are so touched, which I'll share a little bit later on, what some of the people in this church are doing for us this week. You know, we're very moved and we're incredibly grateful. And it reminds me of a funny story being a part of this church was... It was about uh, 10 years ago, I was very, very unwell, and I realized that I had to change the direction of my life, and that was around that whole giving um, and expecting nothing in return. So I had a goal and a dream to make a global impact, but I knew that I needed to start small, and I really like my grass. It's obviously the stuff you cut with a lawnmower, not with scissors. I'm not from Byron Bay. Uh, I knew you'd have nice shoes on, so I wore shoes today as well. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out, I'm going to mow my lawns, and I'm going to mow my neighbour's lawn. So I went out, mowed my lawns, mowed my neighbour's lawn, and then that afternoon, my neighbour, she's a school teacher, she's quite aggressive, she would, she would hurt me very easily. She comes over and she knocks on my door and she goes, Michael, did you mow my lawns? And I, I still, to this day, don't know why I lied, but I lied. I just said, no, nah, I didn't mow your lawns. <laughs> so then she went to my neighbour. My neighbour now is 87 years of age. She needs a walking stick to get the mail out of the mailbox. And she dead said, ask Barry whether Barry had mowed her lawns. Barry said no. She went over and asked Steve. Steve said no. She went back inside. And I swear to you, two weeks later, I'm driving up the street and my neighbour Sue was mowing Jessica's lawn eight doors down. She thought that Jessica had mowed her lawns. That afternoon, Jessica comes over, knocks on my door and says, Michael, did you mow my lawns? And I've got to tell you, half of me wanted to say yes. Because if I told Jessica that I mowed her lawn, she'd mow my lawns and I didn't even mow Jessica's lawn. Six weeks later, I come home from a conference, dead set, somebody had mowed my lawns. 
That was nearly 10 years ago. I don't mow anybody's lawn anymore, yet my lawns continue to get done. So I'm ticking off somebody every fortnight because I'm not returning the favour. So to that message and that alignment within this walls and this church and this community and this family is that we don't go out and do things into this world to try and be acknowledged, to try and feel uh, gratitude from others. We do it purely for the notion of serving and impacting others. And you know, a perfect example as well, we, we live a very blessed life now. It's been, a, it's been a really long challenge and financially it's been really tough, but now we're in a really great place. And I really like to pay for other people's fuel. And I never pay for the diesel Bowser because it's always too expensive. So I go in, I pay for my fuel, and then I'll pay for whoever's on Bowser 6 or whatever it is. Where do you get your fuel? I know, I know. There's always someone that wants to follow, right? (laughs) My father-in-law always seems to follow me in. But So I pay for my fuel. And what I used to do was I, I would pay for my fuel, I'd pay for somebody else's fuel, and then I would sit in the car and I would wait for you to walk in, pay for your fuel, They'd say it's already been paid for. You'd walk outside, you'd look to me, you'd say thank you, and then I'd drive off. And then I realised the only reason why I was paying for that person's fuel was to be thanked. The only reason why I was doing something was to actually get something in return. So now I pay for people's fuel and drive off. And people think to me, oh, but what if you go inside and they pay for the fuel and the lady behind the counter just puts it in a pocket? Or what if, you, what if they go in to pay for the fuel and, and they grab the money and they go and slap in a poker machine? Well, I hope they win. You know, like, I, I'm not doing it because I want them to get something in return. I'm doing it because it brings a great sense of joy and gratification in making an impact in somebody else's life without getting a pat on the back. And I think that everybody in this church, or many of you in this church, do exactly that. I saw that when I first walked in here. My family felt it, and that just made us really feel, you know, we, we've got lifelong friends here that we, we adore. We call them a part of our family, and we've only been coming here uh, three years. So I can't wait to see what 33 years looks like and the impact that you and the entire community make um, in this church. So that's why this is home for me. Wow, that's awesome, man. It's, um, it's yeah. my short answer. Very short answer. Yeah, sorry. And, and we love having you here. It's, it's great. And I think it's good to do this sort of stuff because um, a lot of people probably wouldn't know. A lot of people would because you've had like millions of views. But for those that don't um, and you do spend your life telling people essentially your story and, 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 and learning truths from all of that, can you take us through um, just some of the, the highlights? Like, tell us briefly, what, what is your story? What is this story that you travel the world telling? I'm sure you would all agree that uh, every one of us has a story, right? Every one of us has pain and suffering and adversity, and we, many of us just keep it behind closed doors and, and bottle it up. But some of us are very fortunate to be able to travel the world and share it with people. Last, or 2019, I was on 186 flights. I spoke in 22 countries around the world and got a chance to tour with the Dalai Lama and Branson and, and all sorts of different people. So it was, it was an amazing, amazing life, an amazing journey. But I think that it's so important that our pain and suffering is not so different. What is so different is our solutions. It's how we cope, it's how we deal, it's how we uh, get through the darkness and the depth of our darkness that allows us to enjoy the, the warmth of the sunshine. And, you know, I'll talk about it a little later, but so often we pray because things are tough. But rarely do we pray when things are good. Rarely do we pray with gratitude Rarely do we just say thank you as opposed to can you help me? And for me, my, my journey began, and I guess the great analogy of perspective is that there was, uh, recently I was in hospital, I had an accident, and uh, there was a little boy in the bed next to me. And you know, like the curtains are never quite long enough in hospitals. I'm sure you've all been in hospital, right? So you can see the person next to you. 
So I'm lying there and I can see this little boy and he's got a big smile on his face and I'm thinking, whatever drugs he's on, I want some of them because it looked like he was having a blast, right? And then I hear the nurse walk in and she walks in, she pulls the sheet back, she goes, oh my God, that's terrible what happened. So I was sort of like hanging out of the bed to try and find out what was going on behind and this little boy shares this great story. He says, oh, I was riding my motorbike, cruising through the bush, went around the corner, fell off and this stick got jammed right up into my leg. He said, but it's okay, it could be worse. The nurse says, what do you mean it could be worse? You've got a stick in your leg, you're going to be on crutches, you're going to have to have surgery, can't go swimming. How could it be worse? And I kid you not, this cute little boy with a big smile says, nurse, promise you it could be worse. The stick could have got me in the balls. And I, and I, thought, I thought that's really true, right? It's so true. It's so true that the problems that we face and the challenges that we go through, it could be so much worse. And I think perspective is such a powerful thing. And when we can start to have perspective at the center of all that we do, we begin to be able to deal with the challenges far more effectively. So, you know, the greatest saying that I live my life by is I cried when I didn't get a new pair of shoes until I saw a boy that had no feet. It's so easy for us to sit and have a pity party around our problems because we all have some. But the more that we step out of our own shoes and look at life through somebody else's eyes, the more powerful we can be, the more impact we can have. Uh, my journey began 11 months old. I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage 4. Doctors said no chance of survival. Uh, take your little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family. But fortunately enough, my mum asked one question. I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying is. I just want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. The doctor said I had a 96% death rate, go home. And again, you know, my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at it being 4% full. Started chemo on my first birthday. My chemo cycle was nine days on, three days off, nine days on, three days off, not for weeks, not for months, but for years. Often our veins would hide so they wouldn't be able to give us treatment in our hands. So as you can probably see in the photo, they would give um, me needles in my head. But the greatest thing about having a needle in my head was for the first time in many years I had two hands because for so long I had needles in my hands and couldn't be a normal kid. Um, unfortunately, the, the treatment no longer was doing the job. Uh, just before my fourth birthday, they said I needed to go into surgery. Went into surgery, came back out. They couldn't get it all. Um, that was a really challenging time for my family. Uh, they said it was all over. Um, but the next day, there was an American doctor. He came in. They were trialing an experimental drug on 25 patients around the world, and they had 24 candidates, and they asked whether I wanted to be number 25. Um, we really believe that outside of love, hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary, and that gave us hope. Uh, we started the drug at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning with 24 other families, and within one day, we were all transferred from the oncology ward uh, to the burns unit. The after effects of this drug were so bad that we were burnt from head to toe, covered in blisters. They would lie us in baths full of ice trying to prevent our brains from frying. Um, but sadly, within 90 days, 24 out of the 25 of us that were on that drug had passed away. So every day for me, still to this day, is, is an absolute blessing. And um, you know, I can only imagine the heartache, the pain and the suffering that my mum had to go through. You know, I, I say to people around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones, but I never say I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still alive. I say I'm one of the lucky ones because I wasn't my mum. You know, she had to make a choice to inject a drug into a child that, that, um, that killed everybody. And, uh, you know, to this day, I'm still just eternally grateful for her sacrifice and her love and her devotion and her unwavering faith that God was going to see her little boy pull through. Um, when we were finally allowed to go home, the doctor said I'd never go to school, I'd never play sport, I'd be a housebound baby, and if I reached my teenage years, it'd be a miracle. 
my mum come through the curtains and I made out I didn't hear what the doctor said. I said, what did the doctor say? She said, oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. She carried the burden and the fear of her son dying because she wanted me to lead a normal life. And she let me lead a normal life. She let me go to school. She let me fall out of trees. She let me get picked on. You know, my journey was, um, was, a, was a wild one. You know, I, 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 want, I had a dream and that was to be a normal kid. She said, that dream's not big enough. I need you to have a bigger dream. And I said, all right, well, not only do I want to be a normal kid, but one day I want to play baseball in America. And uh, she said, oh, I kind of liked your first dream a lot more than your second dream. It was a lot more <laughs> realistic. But uh, long story short, you know, I went to school, graduated high school. Uh, yes, it was, a, it was a battle. You know, my, my time at school was really tough because I was different. I had no hair. I had no eyelashes. I, I got picked on every day, but I realized that your value does not decrease based on one's inability to see your worth. If we believe in ourselves and we realize our true value and our value is determined not by how big our house is but by how big our heart is, then that's when I think that we can start to transform the world. Uh, I love the game of baseball. Uh, fortunately enough, I, I played pretty good at it and uh, had a lot of hiccups along the way. I had my first heart attack when I was 12 and uh, by the time I was... 14, even though the doctor said I'd never play sport again, I was lucky enough to make the under-16 Australian baseball team, played in America, uh, 17, signed a scholarship to live in the States and play ball for a living, uh, got a scholarship, was playing in front of 20,000 people every game, 100-plus games a year, another heart attack at 18, lost my contract, got sent home, got into the corporate world, into banking, um, worked my way. It's funny because some of the people in this room and even some of the sons in the room I was the bank manager of their dads which was kind of weird but um, so I got a job in banking worked my way up into a senior executive role by the time I was 23 I had 600 staff had 120 banks around Australia and New Zealand reported directly to the CEO and it took me to hit rock bottom in uh, 2010 uh, for my whole world to change I, I got bacterial meningitis I got fluid on the brain then I had Bell's palsy down the right hand side of my body had to learn to walk again, talk again, and I've got to tell you, I, I, pretty much, um, I pretty much gave up on life then. And uh, I, I would pretty much pray every night that, um, that I wouldn't wake up. But in that dark time, when we finally begin to realize that it's important that we pray, we start to get clarity and understanding what's really important, and that's when I committed my life to serving other people. Uh, committing my life to making an impact and understanding what success was and that's when I met up with some amazing people from this church and uh, we, we went over and started an orphanage and a, a school in Haiti and the only reason why I went over there is because I thought they said Tahiti and I said heck yeah I'm in I'm in let's go to Tahiti and they're like I'm in Miami so it's a long way away and they're like no it's in Haiti I was like we're going to Haiti I was like oh to ha oh not Tahiti so uh, that that was obviously a game changer for me and then um, you probably just saw a photo, thanks for throwing it up, but in 2016, um, that horrible, horrible thing called cancer came back and uh, I was diagnosed with four more tumours of my throat and uh, the doctors said that I wouldn't make Christmas and um, I was a 32-year-old man who prepared his own funeral. You know, I was a man that did a video message saying goodbye to my family and I thought that maybe that was it, but... Um, God works in amazing ways and I, uh, I wrote my first book in that time. Um, it's now a bestseller in six countries around the world. We donate all the profits to charity and uh, I pushed through surgery, came out the other side. There's one tumour still left in there that they can't get rid of. But I realised the quality of one's life is 
It's not dictated by how long we live, how many days we live. It's what we fit into those days that I think really determines the quality of life that we get to live. And as you all have heard, I, I pack a lot in. Um, we were told as well that we were never going to be able to have kids. But in 2017, uh, we announced to the world that we were going to have a little baby. And um, that was just the most exciting time for us. But as you all know, life doesn't always go according to plan. Um, we were due to have a baby in February of 2018. But on the 8th of December 2017, um, my wife went into labour. She was 29 weeks pregnant. And four days later, at 6.40pm on the 12th of December, uh, she gave birth to a beautiful little boy uh, named Lachlan James. He was very, very unwell. He weighed uh, just under two pound and we were put in intensive care unit. Then uh, he contracted a horrible illness called sepsis. Um, we were told to, again, prepare for his funeral and um, he just wouldn't quit. And uh, I don't know where he gets his strength from, but he's... Uh, <laughs> and now he's, now he's like a three-year-old cute little angel and he, uh, he craps more than we could imagine. And he eats more than we can imagine. Um, but i got to tell you, we, um, we love him more than, more than we could ever imagine. And then fast forward to now, um, six days ago, um, we were blessed with another little miracle. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's our... Uh, Baby number two, Summer Grace, uh, and she is healthy, and we, uh, we got to take her home, and um, last night was really cool. I got to give her a really nice cuddle, and my wife said to me, because it was hot, uh, would you like to lay a little spew towel down? I was like, spew towel? I'm a man. I don't need a spew towel. And then she went and laid down, and then my uh, beautiful daughter decided to bring up all of the milk that she'd been drinking, I think, for the last seven days. <laughs> And having no shirt on, it just managed to go straight down and straight into my crack. So it was, uh, it was an amazing night. It was an amazing night. So there's, uh, there's, there's my life in a bit of a nutshell, mate. Wow. I want to ask more about that story at the end, but I won't. Um, so a lot, a lot of your journey is, is marked by what could only be described as the miraculous and... And you and your experience and your life accredit a lot of that to God, and, and I, would, I would agree with that. Um, can you tell me, throughout the journey of incredible lows and highs that your, your life has been, um, moments where you've really felt and encountered God? Can you describe those moments? Yeah, I think for, for those that know the story <clears throat> intimately, at, um, when I was four and I had my first surgery, there was a moment where, unfortunately, I, I passed away um, on, the, on, the, on the table. And the doctor, this is all, I, I, I don't know any of this because I obviously can't remember, but um, the doctor walked out of the room and he walked towards my mum to tell her that, unfortunately, I'd passed away. And then the nurse came running out of the theatre and grabbed him and they ran back in. So mum had no idea what was going on. In fact, she was fearful that something had gone wrong now as opposed to during. And then uh, she came out, they finally came out and said, just so you know, during surgery, unfortunately, your son um, flatlined and we almost pronounced him dead until we were told that he'd started, um, his heart had started beating again. And then my mum came into the room after I woke up 
and I supposedly said to my mum with all the nurses and doctors around that um, I went to God's house and mum's like oh you're probably imagining you know being on planes because we fly so often down and back from here to Sydney and I said to her again as a four-year-old no no I was above the clouds and uh, I was looking down and I was on his lap and God supposedly said to me um, now is not your time son and then I got to fly back down so for me, that was the first real moment. And then I think when I was uh, sick 10 years ago, you know, I was, I was at wit's end. You know, my wife, she would come in every night and she would say, I love you and I'll see you in the morning. And I would say to her every night, I love you. And as she would shut the door, I would say goodbye because I would literally just pray all night in hospital that he would take me because I just, I didn't want to fight anymore. You know, I got to a point where I was like, how many times do you need to kick me before you give me a chance to have some peace, have some freedom? And, you know, now I realize so clearly and so powerfully that in the depth of our darkness, that is when we're being carried the most. And that is such a comforting feeling, knowing that no matter how bad and no matter how dark our days get, that, that he's always there and he's never left our side. And... That has been a, a beautiful realisation for me and, and now to be able to ensure that that faith and that depth of love for God is instilled in my family and my legacy that I, that I leave is, is, um, is a really great thing. Wow. It's pl places that most of us could only imagine. Um, that you've but there's been, been plenty of days where I doubt it. Mm. You know, I got caught up in the corporate world, making lots of money, ego, arrogance you know wealth took over and i and i went so far away from god and it's amazing that when we have an when our life seems to be easy or perceived as easy we seem to lose sight of god and then when things get tough then we recall on him and we ask for him but what's amazing is when life is easy he's right there with us as well he's enjoying but we don't show him gratitude we just ask him for things when times are tough as opposed to appreciate him when times are good so i'm i'm glad i can see both sides now um, through your story, you talk a lot about um, the stress and the trauma that your mum went through and the sacrifice that she made and the decision she'd have to make, which is you wouldn't wish upon anybody. Um, and she, I read your book on Saturday night, your latest book, I read cover to cover. Um, amazing. And she, she gets a lot of mention throughout that book. Um, what, about, what about your dad? Is, can you tell us about your dad? Is he still on the scene or, or what, what's your dad in this story it's funny i was sitting over there when you were up here speaking and you said forgiveness is the gateway to freedom you know i uh so often in our world that we live in today we strive to admire and and implement values from people that we idolize you know, we see people do really great things and we're like, you know what, I'm going to grab that and I'm going to put that in my life because that's how I want to be perceived, that's how I want to live my life. But rarely do we acknowledge the traits of others that we don't admire to ensure that we don't implement and instill those traits in our life. Yeah. You know, my dad, he taught me beautifully how not to be a dad. He taught me beautifully how not to be a husband. I got to see the pain that was caused. 
And I think I'm a better dad and a better husband because of that pain that I got to see. I didn't speak to him for about five or six years after mum and dad separated and it was a very, very messy divorce and I invested all my mum's money um, about six weeks before the GFC hit and lost it all. I just put my mum in a caravan park and I felt, I felt like I failed her. I failed her as a man. I failed her as a son. And I had a lot of resentment towards my dad because I felt as though he put me in that position to have to do something like that to try and support her. Um, so I didn't speak to him for about five years and then I went to church one day. I hadn't been in a long time and I was just begging for mercy. I was begging for help. And uh, the service was all about forgiveness. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, there is no one in this church but me. She is talking directly to me. She's talking to my heart. This is for me. This is my message. How often do I come to church and I hear exactly that? I needed that so much. And that was, that was the moment that was just really powerful. So I called him and I said, hey, Dad, we need to catch up. And he's like, you're sick, aren't you? And I was like, what? He goes, you're dying. There's no way you'd be calling me unless you were dying. And I was like, no, no, we need to catch up. And I just said to him, I forgive you. And there was probably 99% of my body that was waiting for him to say, I'm sorry. But then I was forgiving him for the wrong reason. I had to forgive him expecting absolutely nothing in return. And um, that, that changed my life. Um, it took the weight of the world off my shoulders. I gave the burdens to God. And again, like you said, how can I expect forgiveness for my sins if I can't forgive him for his? And that was, uh, that was, a, that was a big change for me. And um, then work started to go really well. Um, my career exploded in the speaking world. And in 2016, uh, four weeks before I was diagnosed with tumours of the throat, I got, to, um, I got to put a pink ribbon on a brand new door to a beautiful new home for my mum. And to be able to give back to that one woman who sacrificed so much for me was without a doubt one of the greatest, the greatest days of my life. That's amazing. So, yeah, so that's... Uh, now Dad is definitely back on the scene. I love him. Yep. Uh, he's a fantastic father now. He's a wonderful grandfather to my two beautiful kids and um, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that that moment occurred where I got to hit rock bottom to be able to seek the help and the support that has empowered me now to lead a, a better life with forgiveness and humility at the centre of all that I do. That's awesome. I often say, um, <coughs> if God had a business card, what would his job title be? And um, it's, it's restorer, like that's mm -hmm. what he does. And he's into restoration and redeeming things. And yeah. that's a beautiful story of of God's restorative and redemptive power at work in that relationship. Um, slight change of pace, if we can change gears slightly, bringing God into that. Um, how do you, on a very practical level, how do you connect with God? How do you stay connected? How do you have a, like a relationship with God? It's, it's funny because it's almost like seasons, you know. Sometimes we have the warm season where we feel like we're with him all the time and then it gets cold and we seem to, I don't know, run away from him. But I think... Uh, Acknowledgement and consistency are, for me, the two major contributing factors to my now very strong relationship with Lord, the Lord. Yeah, accountability, uh, acknowledgement and, and consistency. For that, that acknowledgement, and um, for me, it's like acknowledging coincidences. 
for me, has been a real game changer. So often things occur in our life that we go, oh, that was cool. But we don't realize that God has completely got his hand on that situation so powerfully. A week before my son was born, I was asked to do a, uh, a fundraising event. And as a speaker, like a painter and an electrician and a plumber, your mates just want freebies all the time, right? Oh, it's costing you nothing. It's just your time. Well, that's the most valuable commodity on the planet. So, yeah, you're right. It's free. No problem. So you, you get asked to do these events all the time. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do this charity event. I've done 40 this year. I, I'll just do another one. Why not? And they said... I said, what's it for? They said, oh, some charity that I've never heard of. And I was like, oh, all right, no worries. So, so I'm, I'm helping this guy raise some money for this charity that I'd never heard of, and it was called the Miracle Babies Foundation. And I was like, all right, no problem. So we go in and realise that they haven't organised anything, no, uh, no, no auction items, no raffle items. And I was like, how are you going to raise money? Are we going to sell tickets? Sell tickets for what? To come and hear me speak? Then no one knows who you are. So how are they going to hear you speak? So we, anyway, we, we end up raising $10,000 and... It was a really special night, and then seven days later, or whatever it was, uh, we were airlifted to Sydney. My wife gave birth um, at, in the evening, but that morning they took me to an ICU ward, and they said there's three levels in ICU, one, two, and three. Here's ICU level one. This is where kids are pretty healthy, and soon they'll be going home. And I, and I was very confronted um, by what I saw in ICU level one. Then I went into level two. Again, it got worse. You know, you don't want your baby in here. And then I went into level three and, like, they're having surgeries. Kids got no skin. And they're like, you definitely don't want your son in here because very few of your kids that go in here are going to go home. And I was like, okay, let's get out of here. I've, I've definitely had enough. So then little boy was born. Um, you saw the photo earlier. He was holding my little finger. And we were uh, transferred into ICU. And we went past level one, past level two, and straight into level three. And... Um, I was, I was a broken man, you know, I fell to my knees and, and I was crying and I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I felt this lady's hand on my shoulder and she said, Michael, um, I'm Barbara, come with me. I'm the CEO of the Miracle Babies Foundation. Within seven days of serving a charity that I'd never heard of, expecting absolutely nothing in return, she was there carrying me through the darkest days of my life. And I just think that's so incredible how we just need to go, oh, God's got this. Like, straight away, the pain was gone. Yeah, because I acknowledged it as opposed to, that was, that was crazy, that was weird. And then even last week, you know, our little girl was born and they took us. Um, they said, oh, we need to go in to do some checks three days, four days later. And they took us back into the NICU ward here in Coffs Harbour. And... Um, they said, oh, sorry, but the, um, the, where, the nursery or whatever it's called, or the maternity ward, is completely full. There's no spots for you to have this checkup, so we have to go into the NICU ward. I was like, all right. So we went in there. As soon as we walked in, we hadn't been in there since Lockie was very, very unwell. And Mel looked at me, and I, I felt this sense of heaviness and uncertainty and, and definitely an element of anxiety. And then they took us into the exact same room where... They said he's got sepsis four days tops. We're sending you back to Sydney. And um, that was a really powerful moment for us because so often we allow the pain of the past to cause more pain in our presence. But I think with God at the centre of all that we do, we, 
allow the pain of the past to be gone and let not and not allow it to take the joy away from our presence it was a very joyful moment we had a beautiful girl who was healthy so we got a chance to sort of give that weight and that burden to god because of acknowledging the coincidences that we were in knowing that he's got a plan and we're right where we need to be on the right path to enjoy the joy that he had brought into our life with this healthy beautiful little baby girl so that is the one thing and the second thing for me is um meditation and i know it's weird a lot of christians swear against it um but you know i i obviously honestly thought that the only people that meditated were uh, excuse the bluntness but i thought they were bong smoking beard wearing cotton wearing incense burning no shoe wearing hippies like that's that's exactly the 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 shape of what i thought people that meditated were and now you know i'm, I'm working with some athletes that are earning 50 million dollars a year and they meditate some of the top ceos and they meditate and i realize now that consistency is the key to transformation consistency with god is the key to the transformation of the relationship that we have with him I meditate every single morning religiously and throughout my meditation I spend a really solid period of time with God speaking to him communicating praying showing him gratitude for what he has provided asking him for protection like it's it's not it's not a moment of kumbaya burn incense it is a moment of being present of being mindful and of being grateful for the relationship that I have with him so they're they're the two they're the two things that have really helped me stay very grounded and very present with god yeah that's awesome i love that i look at to debunk those myths of mm. you know i had a christian say to me if you connect with meditation you will no longer want god in your life wow. i'm like it is completely the opposite yeah i've never had a stronger relationship with him yeah. since i've started to meditate yeah that's awesome because i've consistently had the conversation with him mm. You know. We draw near to God. He draws yeah. near to you, right? Yeah. And um, meditation is a great avenue for that. People call it prayer. People call it worship. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's that mindfulness and that awareness of, of God. Um, one last question. Um, if anyone here is today or, or perhaps listening online afterwards um, and they're sort of discovering faith or sort of checking it out or, or maybe they, they already have found faith in God but are struggling with that faith, what sort of encouragement would you would you give those types of people? I just think that life is so much better when God's at the center of all that we do. Mm. It's so much better. It's so much easier. It's you know because life is difficult it doesn't mean that God has given you a bad card. You know, I, someone said to me, "Geez, you've been dealt with some really crappy cards in your life." But I think that Whilst ever God's delivering me cards, that means I'm still in the game. Yeah. And whilst ever I'm still in the game, it's about how I choose to play those cards that truly determines the quality of the life that I get to live. He never deals us cards that we can't handle. And the more that we understand that, the more that we believe it, the more that we live our life by it, I think that's when our life becomes so much easier because we don't have this life of resentment towards the life that we lead. We have fulfillment and gratitude knowing that God has given us the courage and the strength to be able to handle no matter what the world throws at us. Wow. You know, that saying, we're all in the same boat, it's, it's not true, right? We're all in the same storm. We all have the same battles. 
but we need to stop spending our life comparing the boats of others or the cards of others to our cards. You know, we have no idea that in that mega yacht that just cruised past that we admire that there's holes in the back. It's filled with drugs and abuse and ill health. Whereas our little rubber ducky is safe and comfortable and it's filled with a community that cares and a church that loves and devotes its time and energy and passion to impacting, influencing and loving others. You know, I think that for me is my hope that they can understand. That is bang on. That is amazing. Um, So as I said, on on Saturday I I binge read your book. Um, Can you call it binge reading? Is that a thing? It is now. Yeah, you said Um, it. With those shoes you can say whatever you like. Oh, hello, (laughs) hello. Maybe you feel so guilty before because your saying of I wanted those new shoes until I saw someone who had no feet, I'm like, now I feel really guilty wearing new shoes. So thank you for that. I'll send someone down to uh, the, the second-hand store next week when you donate it to the Goodwill, and, and they can wrap them next Sunday. <laughs> they, they please don't. Um, <laughs> so about this book, absolutely loved it. I, I could not put it down. Um, a lot of the stories you shared this morning are in there, and plus a lot more, because obviously the time restraint's here, but in the book you can expand a lot more on those. And um, just gives, uh, like, as a dad, as a, as a parent... Um, yeah, the perspective of that was just phenomenal, what your mum in particular went through. And then also the pain that you went through. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but please um, grab a copy of the book. But um, the title is Everything Will Be Okay. Um, can you just tell us what does that title mean? Why did you come up with that? Um, and what people can expect from the book? It's a really important um, phrase that I have really lived my entire life by. I, uh, when they said that I would never go to school, I'd never play sport, I'd be a housebound baby, my mum come through the curtains and told me that the doctors said that everything will be okay. Uh, at the age of 12, when I had my first heart attack and they said I'd never be able to play sport again, I realised then and there that no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do, they'll only ever tell you what you can't do, but it's your choice whether you choose to listen. She said to me, oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. When I had bacterial meningitis and life wasn't going the way I really wanted it to go and uh, I had to learn to walk and talk again. My mum come through the curtains and she told me that everything was going to be okay. Then when I was diagnosed in 2016, I was driving home after the doctor said we've got four more tumours, your tomorrows aren't guaranteed and her name popped up on my screen in the car and um, she said, what did the doctor say? And for the first time in 32 years, I was finally in a position to be able to return the favour. And I told her that everything will be okay. And then when our little boy was diagnosed and they said that he probably wouldn't make it to the end of the week, my wife said to me, what did the doctor say? And I told her that everything was going to be okay. And then... um, and then in March of last year, after I had melanoma removed, I, um, I came home from an event and COVID had hit. Um, I had to go into isolation for seven months. I couldn't go near anybody because of my immune system. And um, it looked like my wife was going to lose her job. 
I lost 68 events overnight. My agent called and said, your whole year is empty. We just signed a contract to build our dream home and paid a huge deposit. Um, my mum looked like she'd lost her job. My dad needed an operation that I needed to help fund. Mum needed an operation that I needed to help fund. And my wife said to me, what are we going to do? And I said, sweetheart, everything's going to be okay. And I put pen to paper and I wrote that. Now it's a bestseller. Again, we, we donate all the profits from my book to charity. We don't take any money from the book at all. Uh, they usually they cost me a certain amount of money and then the profit I get from that I usually donate to charity. But um, today we're going to donate every cent. So um, 20 bucks a book. They're over there. You can buy them online for 30 bucks. But uh, 20 bucks over in the corner. I'd love to sign them and, and give you a copy. And um, I want to donate all the money back to the church because... Um, I'm really proud to call this place home. I'm really grateful for the, the love and the devotion that this community uh, brings to my family. And um, God blessed me the day that he, uh, he steered me in the direction to walk into C3CH because I know that um, I'm a better man because of it. But I also know that my family and my family's family are going to be better for it as well. So um, that's the name of the book, and um, that's probably my time because the thing's flashing, which means I need to shut up. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you want to grab a copy of my book, but you guys have been an amazing audience. Thank you so much for the invitation and allowing me to share a little of my story. Uh, God bless you all, and remember, it could be worse. It could have a stick in you, you know where. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Michael. Nice. So good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.